0: Welcome to Agitators Anonymous. I am Alan Averill, your hostess with the leastest singer in a heavy metal band, speaking to other random people, throwing out his random thoughts about this and that. Today's podcast is a chat uh, with... With Chris Fielding. Now, Chris recorded the primordial albums to The Nameless Dead, Redemption at the Puritans Hand, and he just recorded the new one. So we get into that. We get into we look back at those albums now, 10 and 15 years ago, and we discuss the recording techniques for all you geeky tech nerd people and various other things, the circumstances surrounding the albums and that kind of thing. Uh, Because both of those albums turned, I think, whatever it was, 15 and 11, or I don't know, people celebrate strange anniversaries these days. But those two albums were pivotal in the primordial back catalogue, in our progress, in our, um, I suppose you could say, the steps that we made to going from maybe the the 8th rung of the ladder to the 6th rung of the ladder, where we currently reside in the where are they now category. So we discussed that with Chris, they, we. Um, Me and my alter ego, we discuss that with Chris. And then, of course, Chris is the bass player of the band, Conan. Um, English sludge, doom, uh, titans, whatever you want to call it. It's heavy, heavy stuff. It's like walking through molasses wearing flip-flops or whatever um, other analogy you want. We discuss um, Conan's heavy touring schedule, how they basically broke up, let's say, from whatever rung of the ladder they are on to the rung above through old-fashioned methods. Through heavy touring through getting in the back of the van and getting out there which they are doing right now on the um on an american tour perhaps you've just seen them i don't know the show was sponsored by metalblade.com you can go to slash uh, metalblade and use the promo code AA 2023 and you will get 10 percent off your order which let me tell you is worth quite a lot now the way um costs are going um you probably heard me discuss this before on the podcast but i sent out a couple of primordial signed albums And the uh, overall cost for sending out five records was 87 or something like this euro. The total costs once everything was in, together with the packaging, the wholesale, oh blah, 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 blah. 212 euro from 300 euro taken in for five records. Yes, indeed. This is how they kill small business, folks. If you have ever seen, I suppose, um, the documentary 10 or 15 years ago, Walmart, uh, the high cost of low living or whatever it's called, something like that. I suppose you could use the same analogy except replace it with Amazon um, in that it just makes it almost impossible for small businesses and especially at the moment underground labels to survive. They're all talking to me um, when we just sort of having chats with, you know, smaller, medium-sized labels about how difficult it is at the moment because literally nobody is ordering very much and um, those orders, if you order a single vinyl now from, let's say, a German company to Ireland, or if you're in Germany you're ordering something from something in Ireland, the costs are exponential. They're almost ridiculous. They used to be, not even 10 years ago, you could send a vinyl out for four, five, six, maybe 8 euro. Now this is costing 15 to 25. It's insane. It's insane in the membrane. Anyway, so let's get into it. This is me and the very effable, esteemed, and effortlessly calm, along with other words beginning with C, Chris Fielding so yes i suppose we should talk about some old promoter records you have a choice you can it's like one of those old choose your own adventure books you can do it's kind of um pick the choice uh talk about old promoting records or discuss for example bikes and the tt racing or first world war you know kind of like the evolution of the tank or you know which one what do you think
1: well the latter sounds more interesting but probably no one wants to hear that so um maybe start at the beginning with the name is dead and <laughs> and then move on to the <laughs> then move on to the bike racing yeah sure yeah
0: <laughs> yeah you'll have to you know you should, you should get you need to get a backdrop from
1: behind yourself
0: as well maybe with
1: yeah your face uh, or well, something like that if, uh, if you the eagle-eyed will notice that I do have a uh, a cushion behind me on my little sofa there which is a sidecar racing cushion which every self-respecting studio should have i believe but
0: well i i mean i, I all of i will raise you a don dock scatter cushion
1: in the that's shape pretty good shape, yeah
0: in the shape of a heart <laughs> yeah where don is drinking a glass of wine on it surrounded is, with butterflies
1: yeah that's pretty good That's pretty good maybe uh people can discuss in the comments which cushion they prefer <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, these are the kind of um, big topics that people come to, um, you know, the channel that doesn't grow, my YouTube channel, to to, to witness grown right. men generally discuss uh, such pressing first world problems, you know? Yeah, yeah. Such just scatter cushions. Uh, maybe we can move on to them, haberdashery, whatever that is, yeah. or anyway, yes, right. Um, what are we talking about? Okay, so "The Name Is Dead" is well. It was. What's it? Sixteen years old now, is it? Uh, something like that. Yeah, two
1: thousand
0: and seven, isn't it? I suppose for anybody who doesn't know, Chris recorded that record. Um, and so I. It, what happened was that after gathering wilderness, um, often back then it was left for me to sort of discover a studio or um somebody to engineer something or you know, kind of source where we would go when we done gathering with us with Billy Anderson, and the kind of the end of it, it, had sort of fallen apart a bit and the studio wasn't really made for metal. And I think everyone really didn't really like the um, recording in in the city. At the time just meant people were coming and going, oh, I've got to go and have me dinner, I'm going to do this, I'm going for a pint I'm this at the other. So they all thought, well, can we find somewhere that's in another country? that is a bit remote, but that isn't too far away that we don't have to fly miles to, because they wanted to get the ferry, which is, in the end, I'm not sure what was the record that made me um, check out Foal, because, I mean, you might may, maybe explain where Foal is and all that kind of stuff, and where it came from, because that was a studio where eventually I came across the website and contacted Dave, I think.
1: Yeah, I think, was it not through, uh, was it not Will Palmer, who maybe suggested it to you, maybe?
0: Oh, it's part po- that's possible, yeah. Will Palmer, Angel which um, you know, uh, Will Palmer the Charmer, um, could have been had they had Angel
1: gone there or had some Rise Above fans gone there? Maybe I've been doing a lot of Rise Above stuff, um, uh, around that time, yeah. So, um, that it does, it possibly was Will, but um, yeah, well, fall bit of history about fall, um, it was set up in. Sort of 72, 73 by Dave Anderson, um, formerly of Hawkwind, who played in *In Search of Space* album, and he left that. Uh, he left after the the album came out, basically more or less straight away. Um, and uh, yeah, with the intention of setting up a recording studio, and he found this old farmhouse in the middle of Mid Wales, near near Welshpool, but about 12 miles out into sort of in the hills and um yeah this tumble down farmhouse bought it and did it up turned it into the studio and the studio's still going now um dave sold it he lives locally still but um now i'm by a guy called mike view but um yeah i saw dave yesterday actually all right
0: Uh, yeah uh, i'm trying to think of what the record the rise of record that we heard from there that mem kind of convinced us it was it was there some english band who released an instrumental EP or something that you have recorded. Um
1: Cap- be, Capricorns, maybe? Could be Capricorns. Capricorns had recorded there, but I well we only did they did their second album. They're just tracked bass and drums. So we did, you know, with their their own producer. So um but we were doing a lot of you know a lot of stuff. But the studio had a lot of history with you know heavy rock and metal and pretty much since it's it's uh well, since it started really, with Dave with this sort of Hawkwind connection and and, well, I, uh, and my
0: bloody my bloody Valentine went there as well, didn't they? They rent
1: yeah in the eighties, yeah. Um Napalm Death had been there several times. Goldflesh had been there. Um yeah, lots of lots of stuff, you know, lots of heavy stuff.
0: And I think what appealed to the um, the lads at the time was that they could pack the amps that they invariably probably never used into the back of the car and drive across. And then because it's sort of quite remote and that if you didn't have a car, you're really just sort of stranded there, I suppose. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. it's quite far from the nearest town. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what might have What's might that's what might have convinced us was that kind of the tone of some of those rise above things that were coming out of the studio at the time, and it just seems sort of convenient in an oddly inconvenient way, because
1: of course, you still have to get the fucking ferry from uh, to yeah. get- it's uh I mean it's it's kind of one of those old school residential studios where you know they're obviously r- rock I think I think Foal might have been the second or third privately owned recording studio ever made in the UK. Really? Um r- Rockfield, I think, was the first. Um that was sixty seven. Wow. I think. Um and that's just down the road. Well, I'll say just down the road. It's Monmouth, a bit south from here, but um yeah and then dave so yeah it's, it's it's there's a lot of history there and one of those places once you go there you're there um and you can just focus yes yeah. on the, the sort of task in hand really you know and you can you've got the yeah, house I mean, separate I, you can chill out and,
0: i mean i've talked before about that on the podcast for people who obviously aren't in bands and don't really know how things go recording but there's a whole it is can be it can be really good to be completely separate from the temptations of civilization so yeah. just, and also from the yeah. temptations and the ability that you can be sort of hauled back into um you know taking part in text arguments and you know and you're sort of hauled back into society um it can be good to completely get away of course one of the problems is that because bands generally aren't professional anymore and they don't have as much time off they'll have to fucking work you have to balance between how many days can you possibly spend in the studio against potentially being able to go and play um, live, you know? So the, I think we did that whole thing in like, didn't we? Wasn't the first week like six days recording and then five days adding bits and mixing? So like 10 and a half, 11 days
1: to name the yeah. yeah, maybe not even. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it was something like that. It was, yeah, one week, yeah, possibly about six days of sort of initial tracking, getting pretty much all the. Guitar, bass drums down, um, maybe a little bit of vocal even as well. Mm. Um, and then he uh, came back uh, whenever it was a couple of weeks later or something to. Fix a couple of bits, do some extra lead bits and then mix them. I think we yeah, have, I think we mixed it the whole thing in about a day and a half. I think <laughs> add, all, add all the Casey Chaos backing vocals and stuff. Exactly. That yeah, that yeah, that. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we might return to that, but we'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get sidetracked um, off down some other down some other avenue. I mean, I think the thing was that we'd always, like we'd been over to, um, you know, Academy in, uh, in the Rios, or not in the Rios, in Bradford before. And we'd been there in 94, we'd been there in 97, we'd be there in 2002. And um, the old Academy was a, a really great studio with lots of character in it, but it had sort of become a bit digital and stuff. So we were trying to look for something that, we thought had a kind of 70s 80s sort of vibe with old amps and stuff and certainly fall was just full of stuff
1: oh yeah yeah it's it's it you know i've seen photos of it from you know early 70s the very first band that recorded in the studio as it is now was the stranglers Oh really yeah yeah so they did uh demos um and i'm not sure it was on youtube for a while they had like peaches and whatever versions of those tracks um and uh anyway yeah that was the very first session that was done in the the building that is a studio and uh i saw some photos from it like years ago and it, it the place looks exactly the same well at least the live room does anyway like, yeah. the same color the same like um yeah it was, so it's definitely got that 70s vibe you know which uh, a lot of bands love especially guitar bands you know they, they look at it and they turn up walk in the control room see a big old desk see a load of old stuff and they go like wow i'm in the studio you know this is proper well
0: that's part of that's part of what but that sort of the the, the sort of romanticism of that can be i suppose realistically sort of inspiring the fact that you're yeah, yeah. surrounded by you know, just old stuff has a certain um atmosphere to it that yeah. like we recorded in the final studio in academy i'm not sure if it even still exists really it was just literally like a front room with a you know a mac and stuff and you're just like oh, okay you, need, you know i'm we get feedback on or and the drums were just done in the side room and it just didn't really feel like you were recording an album at all you know
1: yeah um yeah I, th- I think depends on what sort of music but i think for a lot of guitar bands guitar you know heavy metal rock metal bands you always sort of those sort of classic bands from the 70s 80s will always be the kind of um you know the, the benchmarks for a lot of that stuff and if you feel like you're in a place that looks like somewhere where black sabbath recorded then yeah. if you want to sound like black sabbath you'll be like it looks like black sabbath it's going to sound like black sabbath you know so.
0: well i mean look if they could make an album in what was it half a day or a day or something like that the idea of um i mean i used to tell people like yeah i think when we did To name stand in like 11 10 11 days they look at you like wow fucking hell whereas now at the time in 2007 that seemed like a really short time but now people seem even more pressed for time and sometimes they end up bringing all the fucking files with them yeah and the stuff they pr- record at home you know mm-hmm. i mean yeah the um but the thing about what of New you start with Primordial was that we would make one album and it would be it would go v- like swimmingly swimmingly it would go kind of without um you know much adversity and i remember the name is dead Was just like summertime just everything kind of clicked in and then of course we did redemption a couple of years later and it was the complete opposite really because i mean i got like sort of swine flu like i guess it was or a, a little a little whack of sl- swine flu and it was winter and it was like snow drifts up to this that and the other and yeah everyone was sick and pissed off and you know
1: minus 18 one night as well which was yeah uh, pretty extreme
0: (laughs) minus 18 did it really get that fucking bad
1: yeah yeah one night
0: and i I would imagine that we were probably the whole building was just heated by
1: that one little heater at the
0: front probably wasn't it
1: probably yeah yeah there's 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 proper search heating in the band house now oh no there wasn't then yeah yeah yeah. there wasn't then because what happens then then you get an album after that um
0: was was fine to make the one after that wasn't I don't know what it is maybe it's just even and odd numbers or something there's some sort of uh um you know gremlins of luck are sort of at play with every odd number but that was definitely kind of one of those recording sessions where everything sort of um clicks into gear and everything just seems to fall into place um very easily which isn't really the case most of the time is it
1: yeah um i mean i remember it yeah just being I think it's a long time ago now, but I just, yeah, I just remember it being pretty straightforward. You know, you guys just turned up, put the parts down. And but you were like only, but you were only 23 though, right? 23, 24. Yeah, I think Uh 24, maybe 24, but um yeah, I'd only been there. I've been the, cause I was the in-house engineer that fall for six and a half years. Um And so I've been working there for maybe a year and a bit by the time you guys came. Mm. Um, so I knew the place pretty well by then, you know, um, but I was still pretty young, obviously. So people, people are often I, I tend to vaguely
0: um, sort of skirt over all the sort of technical details. But there's plenty of people who kind of want to know what sort of desk and what you know, are you doing? Are you mixing to tape, which we weren't or, or what exactly were you doing for miking up an amps? And what does Kieran this that, and to do the other? So um I I'm gonna to have to ask you some exciting technical questions
1: yeah sure yeah so I mean the the way that I mean I well a bit of uh I mean I, I still work I work out full now um a lot of the time fr- freelance now I just live I live down the road so it's mm-hmm. it's uh very handy for me to go there and bring bands in that sort of stuff but the way I work now is still pretty much the same as the way that I did with you guys but so, the studio's got pro tools obviously like pretty much a, every like ninety nine percent of of, sort of pro studios runs pro tools, but the desk is a an old Trident series 80B, which is a lovely sounding console. It's actually from eighty seven, but it it's uh, sort of design and layout and stuff is very nineteen seventies kind of style. You know, um, it looks seventies in a big wooden frame and everything. But yeah, they're a, they're a pretty classic desk. They've got good sounding preamps and EQ sounds. So it's warm, but kind of punchy. and It's got a kind of like a hard edge, which is, you know, which is good. Um, we wouldn't have used uh, too much kind of, yeah, basically everything went through the desk. It was recorded through the desk using some of the bits of the old, you know, outboard.
0: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news,
1: Um and then it was mixed back through the desk again as well. So oh, on the desk, old school. Um again using combination of outboard reverbs and compression and um EQ on the desk. And then um yeah, obviously, you know, some plugins and things like that as well for, for things. But um yeah, amps wise, I think we used all the guitars on that album were done using my MATAMP. Okay. <laughs> still broken, but that's oh, that amp broken oh that one it. that famous yeah song. that one yeah yeah but it, it used to work um and yeah all the guitars doing that and i think i think mick brought a marshall governor pedal yeah because uh, we, we that was quite a step for us because before that
0: um i think kieran had uh done a lot of stuff with um what you call those german amps we got some sort of endorsement from them for a little while and i've been sort of annoying the lads to try and move away from doing too many layers of guitars and too many harmonies in the middle trying to you know uh, loosen up the dynamic range and stuff and maybe easing off on the distortion a little bit so we kind of I think we went a bit more
1: um sort of old school uh with the tone on that record though yeah yeah so it was a it was the mat amp so just care on a mic left and right um you know lead bits in the middle or something like that but um there's not a ton of guitar overdubs on it I don't believe no maybe um no nation on this earth the end there was a maybe like you know two harmonies on there that sort of stuff but yeah there wasn't crazy amounts of overdubs um and yeah just a bit of a delay and you know reverb and stuff on the guitars for those parts and um yeah bass i think was done through dave the studio and his old trace elliott uh which was previously apparently uh owned by mark king from level 42 apparently wow so, yeah um and then the drum kit was a was a uh an old 60s premier kit i think mm. um yeah
0: yeah because the old live room was you know, sort of um I, I liked the way that back in fall you could sort of if you really craned over the desk you'd look down into the kind of uh, yeah. old- old live room and it was just kind of the floor of the barn there would just be stuff everywhere yeah it had a sort of certain um atmosphere to it when you're
1: recording it you know yeah yeah i mean obviously originally they were because the computer monitors are sort of on the top of the desk now so they're kind of in the way they were they wouldn't have been there back in the sort of 70s and the 80s when it was all yeah. fake. um so they do kind of spoil that line of sight a little bit but it's um it's a necessary evil really because it's handy just to have them there when you're editing or or whatever but and i don't think but yeah I, you can you know full band can play in there live.
0: yeah i think we even maybe set up to do some guide vocals at the time i can't remember i remember the singing being pretty um being pretty quick and easy i even though i've said this before on the podcast discussing the record but redemption i got really really sick like so sick i couldn't even walk up the stairs and I, I, around that time there was swine flu knocking around whales and stuff and i'm convinced i got like the. Not the full thing, but a whack of it. Because I had to cut that mm-hmm. I went to hospital and stuff, didn't I? Or down to some, some NHS. It definitely went down to doctors, I think.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and I remember really, I remember not being I remember sleeping all day, staying up all night, trying to take energy drinks, and I don't really remember doing and or tons and tons of pills, not really able to do or not really remembering an awful lot of doing the singing, but somehow we had about two or three hours every evening where it sort of went okay. Mm-hmm. Or am I remembering
1: that wrong? That sounds about sounds about right. I think. Um, yeah, that album was, was yeah, just a bit more bitty, wasn't it? The way we tracked it. Um, and the end of it was. <laughs> the the mixing was yeah. The mixing was uh, was fun as well. The emails back in the because before there was proper Wi-Fi in there and. Mm. Yeah, but I've yeah.
0: been talking. I did. A, I did. I did a few things like technical stuff about the kind of frame of mind you need to be in when you're mixing, and it's like you need to be in this positive can do frame of mind and be a bit sort of go ho but calm about it as soon as you start to get stressed impression like oh fuck, we've got to be out of here and and that's exactly we ex- despite trying to set out to do that we ended up in that fucking frenetic mad um madcap rush and everybody being stressed but it was mainly because we were trying to send emails or songs back to the lads they were all working and they take you know they wouldn't be able to answer for three or four hours and then the internet's bitty. Um, like, and I went, trying to pull the internet out completely, but just because you need to be sort of, when you're on a run, you've got to just kind of roll it, you know, you mm-hmm. can't, you know, you can't just go backwards and go, oh, I need to go back to the bass drum sound from two songs ago and fix a thing. And I think we sort of, I mean, the band, we sort of didn't really a lot properly. Um, we didn't really, you know, how should
1: we say? We just sort of dropped the ball a bit, you know? Yeah. And the The way we were working then sort of mixing up on the desk so essentially all right the the sounds coming from pro tools so it's obviously a digital source but Mm. it was mixed through the desk again so it's an analog mix down and so that means obviously as soon as you change something on the desk turn a knob change something on one of the outboard bits when you go into another song and you change it to suit the next song Mm. if someone wants to go back to the previous one you got to recall stuff and the more recalls you got the more difficult it is to get it exactly the same right yes of course Um, uh so there was there was there was that as well and um it's you know nowadays with people do more stuff in the box now um the plugins and things are, are so much better that um you know you can you can work like that now more easily and yeah it's uh it's less of an issue but at, the, at that time we were doing it more old school but still trying to mix the the sort of doing stuff via email as well so it was. Uh, yeah. I mean, with the we were- clock ticking and the time running out and everything, it was <laughs> yeah,
0: pretty stressful. Because we had to get a ferry, I think, at like noon on the Sunday morning. And at, at like five or six in the morning, we were still mixing the record. And there was another band coming in at like 10, 10 a.m. or something stupid, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Because people, I yeah,
0: it's kind of, you, you, no matter how much time you allot yourself, you always kind of feel like, oh, we could do with an extra half a day or a day when you're really under pressure. And then I always find this with mixing. And I know it's like the power of suggestion where you, you've you been thinking about something not paying attention. And then you zone in and you go, is the bass loud enough? And as soon as you've said it and then everybody else is listening to the same thing, everybody else begins to think about the same thing. And it's sort of, you know, it's kind of, um, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy or something that you've mentioned it that now everybody is going to change it. Oh, just change it a bit or, you know.
1: Yeah, definitely. The, you know, with mixing, uh, um, I find it's best to, to try and get something happening pretty quickly mm. and go in your instinct and generally yeah. if you can do that then what you end up with is more or less there, you know um, as soon as you start getting too, as soon as you start doubting yourself mm. then you, you just kind of need to stop really if you've got time, <laughs> if you haven't got time then you just got to plow on but if, if, it's best if just to stop and then just give yourself I don't know a day or whatever a few hours maybe or just even half an hour or something just to kind of clear your head and then come back to it again yeah and i mean but- you try and get that initial just like overall big picture yeah. view again when you when you're focusing on tiny tiny things and then someone says like something like that you're like oh, yeah. i don't even know anymore now you know and, yeah, yeah. Uh, i mean i find i find
0: as the singer and sort of Sometimes you can get a more broader overview because you're not listening to your own performance, essentially, when you're listening to the music. So you're not focused mm-hmm. in necessarily on your playing and trying to get that broad overview. Well, I mean, rock or metal, whatever you want to call it, guitar music is, I think it should be sort of instinctual in the sense mm-hmm. that um, if you want to capture that lightning in a bottle, you don't capture lightning in a bottle, so to speak, by overanalyzing every, every frequency range and going back and pulling everything apart. You know, I, I just don't. It, it doesn't really feel like heavy metal um thrives best in with that sort of mindset you
1: know yeah i mean you obviously you you need to do that as well uh the sort of you know from an engineering point of view you need to be able to do that as well but it's best to to do that when you when you're in a place that's um that you're happy with and trust that you're in a you know that the overall thing is good then you can then focus in on the on the tiny little bits of automation or or whatever um without having to suddenly change a fundamental part of it because then that's when you you, you kind of can get out of, out of depth you know <laughs> quite easily yeah uh.
0: well it's it's like it's like you know kind of i guess when you keep adding things to the painting and all of a sudden you realize i fucking can't go back and well it's it's much more easy now as you say well what was the first what was the first thing that you mixed in i mean did you go from doing live sound into studio sound i know we've probably talked about all this stuff before but just for the sake of the podcast but what was the first thing where you went okay this is what I want to do is mix records
1: uh yeah no I've I've only really ever done studio stuff I've only really been interested in studio um I guess coming from um you know a a musician point of view I just always liked the kind of making of music and or listening to music you know I, I love listening I've always been a big fan of listening to music and you know buying records and you know all sort of stuff um and uh yeah i just i i, I didn't even really consider that that uh there was a such a job you know that that was a recording engineer i hadn't even kind of you know when i was a kid i hadn't even sort of really considered it until one of my teachers mentioned that one of their students did this for a job and i was immediately i just thought well hang on a minute that, that's the perfect job for me you know i've always been always been you know nerdy into gear and all that sort of thing mm. and i thought wait a minute this is a job that combines music and the technical aspect of things, which is something i'm interested in yeah so i just i just was like overnight just like well I'm, I'm gonna do that for a job then you know that's i didn't i didn't at the time consider that it's actually a pretty tricky field to get into and there's not a lot of jobs and you have yeah. to make a lot of your own work yourself but yeah, that, the, uh, my, yeah. the naivety of it probably helped me uh oh, a lot because i I didn't doubt that I couldn't do it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Um, I think
1: also, also
0: the timing, probably I would imagine it's a much harder field to get into now. And especially with now the sorting creeping sense that everybody has that. I mean, I was only having a discussion with somebody about this, um, today. And I was saying, theoretically, if a band brings a digital desk with all their presets with them on tour, they don't, maybe they don't need a live sound engineer anymore. I don't know as AI going to take those jobs? Is it going to take the lighting job? Is it going to take the mixing job? I mean, certainly you can already send, I was looking at, um, which is in for diff- especially, but I was already, a friend of mine was like, yeah, look, here's the mixing app. You tell it what you want things to sound like and it will just keep firing them back at you. Right. I mean, I, I'm not sure how soon we're going to get to that point, but certainly um, if people are needing to save money, um, mm-hmm. I can see things like that. I mean, you're already seeing things happening a lot different than when you started almost you know 20 years ago so
1: yeah i mean i think from a you know if you're if you're in a band the, mo- well, the mo- obviously you can record yourself you know um it's not very expensive now to get a setup where you record yourself but as soon as you start going down that road you actually realize that recording is actually is not that easy it's pretty you know it's it's actually quite a difficult skill to get into um So the more you go into that, you know, you then, you then find, okay, well, when you, as soon as you master the basics, then you sort of like, well, you know what, it could actually sound better if I bought this thing, you know, this microphone or this sort of preamp thing. So you buy that. And then, and then you you start spiraling into a, into a a situation where you've end up built your own recording studio (laughs) at the cost of many thousands of pounds or whatever. So, um, you know, there's, there's that point of view, but also, you know, you can't, it's you know when you're when you're recording as an artist it's it's uh you want to be able to go to the studio and just focus on yourself your performance and you know the band's performance and that sort of thing you don't but you don't need to worry about the the recording side of things as well but also having someone that can actually with experience that can guide you through the process especially if, you, if you're maybe new to it you, know, you might be nervous you might not have you might have confidence issues when you're suddenly on your own in front of a microphone and the rest of the yeah. guys are watching you they can hear every you know if you're the singer for example hear every kind of crack in your voice mm. you know having someone that can guide you through that process and give you the confidence that you need make you feel comfortable and relaxed same for any of the, any musician you know you can't that you can't get that from a plug-in you know no
0: no true i guess what it is is just lately this is the sort of you know the whatever you want to call it, the motif of conversation of society, trying to figure out which jobs um, are going to be put up against the wall by AI and automation over the over the yeah. next couple of years and what's going to survive and what isn't, you know, I, I I mean, it's natural to be, I suppose, fascinated by, grimly fascinated by what where that could leave the music industry, because
1: yeah. um, I, I oh, know, I've, no, I've no doubt that these things, you know, will will come into play in in, but you'll you'll end up with even more so i'm sure there'll be something that is actually that can produce quite good results but everything will just sound exactly the same
0: yeah or it will
1: sound sound just exactly
0: like your album um yeah that's what i in my head i'm kind of thinking to myself if you brought your own let's say for argument's say digital file plugins of your album sound and you've got a digital desk run by ai automations already Program preset you just bring it plug it in you have the same sound no matter what you play on in every venue and it figures out the best um you know the sort of equivalent volumes i i'm no no in my head i'm just thinking i've just been going through you know kind of everybody's life trying to figure out how to start a conversation with them about how it's going to disappear <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to try and yeah. sort of annoy everybody and I'm, I'm succeeding moderately um including yeah. myself i mean you know i'm just trying to i'm 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 wondering about what parts are going to be replaced, or what's going to become obsolescent? Um, and as, but as you say, there probably will be a percentage of people who move in the other direction. Hopefully, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm hoping with all this stuff is that there will be always, hopefully, ten to twenty percent of people who will want to see live music and will want the real thing. Will want this, that, and the other. Who will mm-hmm. resist the sort of the body politic of society? Who will just be like, oh yeah, avatar of a pop song made by uh who cares i mean maybe mm. i'm being a bit too negative i don't know well that would be usual, wouldn't it so um
1: i mean, yeah, I mean, I mean
0: it, it stopped you selling their uh, meth on the streets of welshpool so i mean you know
1: well you know yeah the the, the bomb drops out of the market there really a little bit so uh yeah, yeah. I had to do something else
0: get interventional <laughs> that's probably what <it> <laughs>
1: yeah
0: <laughs> but you know what i mean though i mean the the process of technology i'm just curious as to what exactly will it come for especially when it comes to music industry stuff.
1: yeah um i mean from a like i said from a, from a sort of recording process I, I do think that you you still it's like having another member in the band you know like mm. each member of the band adds a an element of their personality their you know expertise their experience whatever into a band and um you get obviously that same sort of equivalent when you go to a studio with a producer uh who has all that experience from doing it for many years they will you know impart some of their sort of personality their experience their skill onto your album you know um so i think there'll always be a a call for that but obviously you know yeah you do have to pay for that um and people, you know, will, but they're probably if the technology gets better, people will opt for the cheaper I, you know, potentially AI equivalent of it, sure. But I Mm. think, I guess one of the,
0: yeah, oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was having this discussion today about lighting. And I was thinking to myself, if you know what lights are in every venue, and you have your presets, and you have your preset, board and everything. And you have everything linked into the same set every night mm. um yeah i know there's got to be there's probably going to come a moment where somebody's going to go well why are we paying two flights for somebody to stand behind it and 200 250 euros a day but there's probably lots of people who are thinking well how can we do this without employing any um bands at all you
1: know yeah well yeah possibly yeah, yeah. i mean bands certainly are annoying so i mean this uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But- I mean for, yeah from a lighting point of view uh i'm sure that probably i mean if you if you're a band that goes out with a click track so everything mm. is is to a click yeah. then yeah you probably don't need a lighting engineer at all because if, if, i mean i to be honest like i i don't really know anything about lights mm. i don't know how many gigs i've done um we've never had a lighting engineer Conan. so yeah yeah we've always just been like whoever the light person is if if you even you know sometimes obviously there isn't one it might be the sound guy that does some lights or there might be a dedicated lighting engineer yeah so if there is then great you know obviously it makes a diff a big difference you know when you have someone good it makes an yeah. amazing difference Don't you don't really notice it when you're playing as such but if you see back video and you watch the other bands and you're like oh shit, the, the lights are awesome you know really makes a huge difference to the to the audience perspective but um but yeah if you've got if you're just all everything is click track midi sort of thing you could just have someone to set that up and like you said if the if the the lighting rigs in the venues that you're playing in are compatible then surely you could just the technology there to just to do it all automatically but yeah
0: hang on just uh, one second